We're so glad you're here today. We're glad to see you on campus on, online as well. And so here's the deal. Today we're going to talk about creation right in the middle of a series, non-negotiables. And I want to show to you, I'm going to show to you today why creation is a non-negotiable. Now, you, when you think about creation, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas. And so today what I want to do is just take some time, you know, 20, 30 minutes of your time, and I want to show you what a marvelous truth it is and why it is indispensable for you and I to believe in it. Is that fair? Now, here's the deal. I know that we're, you know, we're going we're gonna to kind of meet the crowd where they are today, so I'm going to take some people a little deeper than they're normally wanting to go or, or comfortable with going, and there'll be something for everyone. So just, just hang in there with me because this is such an important topic. So creation. Let's start with the idea and... Uh, Let's start with this thought in mind. There are two kinds of concepts. There are, there are two, uh, I guess, philosophies. Presuppositions is a better word. There are two presuppositions in, the, in, the, in life about where we came from, where this world came from. The first one is, the, and probably the most popular, the most prominent one, uh, certainly the majority of people around, believe that everything came from naturalism, uh, that, that is materialism or evolution. That's probably a better name for it. So that what we see here today, and it's the, honestly, and you think about the billions of people on the planet, it is probably the worldview of lots of them. So that's one view. Another view is that everything came from a creator. And that is the, that is the belief of those of us that walk with Jesus and walk in tune with the Spirit, I believe that what the Bible clearly teaches is that there is a creator. So John Glenn, the first American to orbit the earth uh, in space, said this. This is so fascinating. He says, to look out the window, the first day he was in space, and he looked out at something like that. And uh, he said, to look out in this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. To see it, I mean, to step back and see the majesty of what this planet looks like, what the universe looks like, is pretty incredible. But listen to me carefully. Behind every belief system is a root cause. There's a reason that we believe. And so there's a reason that people are atheists, and there are a reason that people believe in creation. And so if you are really a diligent student, here's what I would suggest that you have to do. You have to figure out why you believe what you believe. It's not enough just to believe it. Because here's the thing, you might believe in creation just because your teacher told you, or Sunday school teachers told you, or a pastor told you, or your mom told you, and I'm just going to simply say, that's great, I'm glad you believe in it, but you've got to figure out why you believe in it. Why is it that it's such an important thing? And if you don't believe in creation, maybe you're an evolutionist, I would challenge you with the same, with the same idea. You've got, it's not enough just to say, well, I think science backs it. Because here's the reality. It takes, and this is what I want to say to you all, it takes as much faith to be a creationist as it does an evolutionist. The same faith. There is a leap of faith that has to take place in both systems. Do you all understand that? And so science leaves us a little short, doesn't fill in every blank. If you're an evolutionist, there are things about that that you're going to have to say, well, I've looked at it, and I, you know, here's why I believe it. And if you're a creationist, you have to do the same thing. So with that in mind, I want to start with evolution, and I want to ask the question, so 
what reward is there in believing Darwin's theory of evolution? Why would somebody choose to believe that? Outside of science, I mean, I, I get there's scientific fact. Why would someone take the leap of faith? Why would someone choose to bank their destiny on something like evolution? And this is not a slam. I'm just saying, and I'm going I'm to get to Christianity in just a minute, but listen to me carefully. The reason that I've come to, the reason that I've noticed in life is that their motivation and the root is, is that if they believe in evolution, now they're not accountable to a God. That oftentimes is underneath the surface of why I choose to take the leap and become a naturalist. You get that? Smile at me. So there's a reason. Sometimes, it's, and that's a generalization, there's many different reasons. Sometimes I run, I've run into a lot of atheist friends of mine who will talk to me about how when they were six years old, they prayed to God and God didn't hear him. And if he, was, if he was God and if he was good, he would have answered their prayer. And why did God let my best friend die? And I mean, there's all sorts of other things in between that. And so you have to get to understand, you have to ask yourself the question, why is it that I believe what I believe? And if you are a Christ follower, you are no different. It is not enough for you to say, my pastor told me to believe this. It makes sense to me. I'm going to believe it. You've got to understand why you would take a leap of faith because it is a leap of faith. Because we're going against the tide of, of world thinking to, to confess a belief in a, in a creator God. So why would someone believe in creation? And I want to tell you that I can't tell you what your answer is. I can tell you what my answer is. And then you've got to figure out what your answer is. So the reason that I believe, that I personally believe in creation is because it gives me great hope. In a chaotic world, in a world where there's uncertainty everywhere, when I turn on the news and I look at all the things that are going on, of famines and wars and diseases and all those things, and, uh, and if I don't have a hope, if I don't have a destiny, if I don't have a place that I can put all that, if I don't have a, a confidence that there's a future for me, then I'm going to lose hope. So the reason that I am a creationist is because I believe the Bible says it to be true, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but I also believe it is something that brings into my life this sense of peace, this sense of knowing there is a, if there is a creator, he's going to bring all of it to a conclusion. That's, that's what I believe. And so when I do a funeral, I, I always look the family in the eye. And, you know, when, I want you to pretend there's a casket down here and I'm peeking out over the flowers. And uh, here's what I would say to you as a family member. I would say, listen, is this all there is? Is this it? You get 70, 80, 90 years if you're unlucky, and then you get this, this is it, this is all you got. I'm going to say that produces in me, if that's it, if that's your theology, that's a hopelessness and not a sense of hope. It doesn't bring hope into my life, and I don't think it brings hope into anyone's life. So the reason that I'm a creationist is because I believe it is the only system that I know of that actually produces hope inside of my life, that I'm not an accident, that I don't have to be filled with shame, that I don't have to live my life in disappointment, that I don't have to live my life feeling like that I have no value. All of that is brought about in my understanding of the Creator. That's why I'm a creationist. So having said that, now we're going to look at the text. We're going to look at what the Bible says. There's one, you know, Genesis, the, Genesis is the most popular 
of all the, the biblical accounts of creation. There are seven or so biblical accounts of creation. But Genesis is the most popular. So let's, let's just talk about Genesis chapter 1 for just a minute. So if you brought your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. I'm going to be in there most of the morning. So uh, let's just look at what does God say? How does God reveal himself? The first words out of the Bible, this is what, this is what it says. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So mark this down. God says through inspiration of Scripture, that, there is, that he is the creator God. To deny that, here, smile at me when I say this, to deny creation is to deny God. That's why this is so important for you and I to understand and be able to defend. He says from the very beginning that he is the creator God. The word create here, created, comes from the Hebrew word bara. Say it with me, bara. You don't need to remember that. I just wanted to see how it sounded like when you said it. But here's the thing. Bara is an interesting Hebrew word because literally what it means is it means creation from nothing. It's a creation from nothing. Now, again, there's two worldviews. One is that there is some matter somewhere that is in the right conditions, in the right place. Somehow with the, all that happening, there's you know, maybe an explosion. I don't know what happened. But if you're a naturalist, then all this came about because of that. And this is what I love to do with my naturalist friends. I love to say, where did that matter come from? Where did that matter come from? And, the, and eventually I'll get them into a corner that there's no answer. Because there has to be some source. My conclusion is God is the source. So I have to believe that God is the creator and this creation is something out of nothing. God speaks. The God that I worship, the God that I pray to, the God that when I'm in crisis I go to, the God that I love, the God that I serve is the God that spoke the worlds into existence. Out of nothing. And if he can do that, he can do anything in my life. He can do anything in your life. If he's the God of creation, see how important this is? My understanding of who God is is so crucial. So with that in mind, I have to believe that there is a creator God as I walk in, the, in, in Orthodox Christianity. So with that said, I'm going to suggest to you that there are some things that we don't have to agree upon about creation. There are three theories of creation among the Orthodox Christian faith. So I'm going to do a drive-by with you, and then I'm going to tell you the right one. I'm just kidding, because the right one mine, is mine. So but let me give you a drive-by on, you know, the three views of creation. And I don't care which one you hold. Uh, you and I can still be friends, and you can hold any one of these positions, and you can still consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and you can still be in Orthodox Christianity. So here they are. The first view is the most popular view, and that is what is called the young earth. Now, what does that mean? That means that you would believe that God created, in Genesis chapter 1, there are, you know, it kind of is very specific, and it says God created something on the first day, something on the seventh day, sixth day, and he does all through the six days of creation, and on the seventh day he rested. And so you would believe, to be a young earth person, you would believe that those are literally 24-hour periods. The vast majority of Christians, that is the most popular view among creationists, is that God, and, and therefore, if you do the math, that, that means that the earth is fairly young. If you just look at genealogies from that day forward, you, you would conclude that the earth is probably 10,000 years old or less, somewhere in that area. 
So that's one view, okay? So you can hold that view. We'll still be friends. Second view. I used to be one of those. Second view, and I'm not one of these either. Second view of, of creation is the old earth view. And that literally means that you believe that those 24-hour periods that you read in the book of Genesis, those 24-hour periods weren't necessarily literally 24 hours. They could be at times or eras. So God created, but he used time to create that. And that Genesis just is, is just really giving us a scenario and not specifics. And therefore, you could, you know, that solves the problem of dinosaurs, you know, the age of the earth, the carbon dating solves all that right and there are a lot of people that hold to that view and if you hold to that view awesome amen but now I'm going to tell you my view <laughs> smile at me when I say that okay we're having fun today right if you're not having fun I'm going to start over and I'm going to get more technical every time I start over so here's the thing I believe in the gap theory so let me explain to you the gap theory and this you know I, I'm going to confess that my professors, when I went to seminary, were the people that wrote, they were the, they were the editors of the New King James Nelson Study Bible. Those are the guys that taught me. And so they were believed in this theory. And if you, get one, if you buy that Bible and you look in the notes, you're going to see, oh, that's where Pastor Dan got this. But I actually got it from them, not from their notes. So here we go, the gap theory. So in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we get to verse 2. So let's look at verse 2, if we can. It says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the deep waters. So here's what I'm going to show you. This is so good. This is so beautiful. It says, The earth was. See the word was? In the, in the original Hebrew language, there is no to be verb. It's implied. So there's no is and was. The, when, you're, when the author is writing something, you, you know, you, there's no to be verb. So you, you insert it based on the tense of the, other, of the other verbs. So it's all good. All right? So in this particular case, that's not, and, and what you'll notice in your Bible when that happens, that was or is is in italics. It's, you know, and you can see, ah, this is an insertion. But in this particular case, to see that word was there, that's actually a Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word is haya. Haya. That's how you remember it, okay? So, haya, haya literally means it's translated almost always became. In every other place, nearly every other place that haya is used, it's translated became. So listen, let's read it with that in mind. It says the earth was form the earth became formless and void and darkness covered the deep waters. So in the gap theory, this is what gap theorists would contend. And again, this is a theory. This is just a theory. I'm not going to die for this. We can believe any one of those three. But I believe that there was a creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then a judgment and a recreation. Now, why in the world? Did you have beans last night for dinner? And I, I should have said this earlier on. I am not a scientist. I don't claim to be a scientist. I got a D in science when I was in sixth grade, okay? I'm just saying I'm not a scientist. I'm a, I'm a student of Scripture. So when I look at words in the Bible, they mean something to me. Like hayah means something to me. The earth became formless and void. And then I see that word formless and void and in every other context in the Bible. In every other context, the word formless and void are acts of God's judgment. 
So God created in the gap theory, and I'm just wetting your whistle. I'm, I could spend three hours on this. I'm, I'm spending another 10 seconds, and then we're going to move on. The earth was formless and void. There's something that happened, and here's what I believe happened. I believe that when Lucifer was a high-ranking archangel before God, and before his fall, the earth was the habitation of Satan, of, of the adversary, Lucifer at that time. When he fell, there was a judgment that took place on this earth, and then God reformed it, and then he takes the pinnacle of this recreation, which is man. You're the pinnacle. You all are the pinnacle of creation, and he puts man on this planet, and that's why that explains a couple things to me. First of all, it explains why Satan is so darn ripped off and hates me so much. I usurped his authority. I replaced him as a regent, as a ruler on this planet if I believe in the gap theory. That's why he would be so angry at that. And the second thing that I think is awesome about the gap theory is that it is a good, it's a great way to explain carbon dating, fossils, all that, uh, dinosaurs. If you ever wonder where did the dinosaurs come from, they came from the gap theory. I'm just saying that's my theory. Okay, you with me on that? If you, just shake your head if you, if, you, if, you, if you don't understand any of it. Shake your head yes anyway or else I'll have to explain it to you again. That, that's the teacher in me that wants to make sure you understand that, okay? So shake your head. Got it. Can we move on? You are a creation. This earth is a creation. So let's talk about you and me for just a minute. It's crucially important for you and I to answer the question. This is the most important question that you can ever answer in your life. Who am I? Right? Would you agree with that? You got to understand who I am. You got to understand that. So, Erwin Schrodinger, who was an Australian physicist, I, I say, said that wrong, I said it in the first service wrong too, Austrian physicist, who achieved fame in his, for his contributions to quantum mechanics, once said, when it comes to those things that are most important, this is a scientist, not a Christian, says, when it comes to those things that are most important, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who is God? What is his will? Science is deathly silent. Silent ha science has no answer. Don't know. Un don't know. They admit that. I don't know. But the Bible does give us an answer of who I am. So let's just look at that for a second. So Psalm 139, verse 14. God, through divine inspiration, explains to us some things that are very important. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. God says about you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are his creation. Before your parents had any idea about you or any wish to have you, God already knew you from before the foundation of the earth. You are a divine creation from him, according to this verse. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You were formed. Jeremiah says, I was formed by you, God, in my mother's womb. And then Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, here's the things in my life. This is so good. I, you know, this is better than being a blob. Okay? I have a, I have a designer who 
has designed me and, and he describes his design over my life as being fearfully and wonderfully made. I now have great value to God and therefore should have great value to myself. This solves in our life some major issues that we could possibly, could possibly have. So here's the deal. How do I know that I am created in God's image? Are there any evidences that I can look at in my own life and discover God in? If I didn't have the Bible, could I look at my own life? Could I look in the mirror? Could I see God in the mirror? And so let me suggest, this is not an exhaustive list, but there are some things that I think distinguish us and show God's image in our life. And the first one is simply this, is that you and I have creativity. You and I have creativity. We're creative beings. I mean, honestly, you know, we all have different gifts and abilities and talents, but you and I have this, this amazing creativity in our life, just like God. God's creativity is seen in the world, but our everyday life is filled with creativity. The second thing that I think we can see God's image in is the fact of my consciousness. I, I understand. I have an understanding of me. I have self-awareness. Well, some days I have self-awareness. I have personality. Maybe a bad one, but I have one, okay? I'm just saying I have personality. That distinguishes me. And if you put all these things together, they're amazing. And then here's something else. I have abstract thinking. No animal has abstract thinking except the creation of human beings. We have abstract thinking. We can say A plus B equals C. We can pass chemistry. I mean, we can, we can think abstractly. We can, we can look at it. We're going to baptize next weekend. And we can look at that and we can say, oh, that represents salvation. We can think in an abstract way. That shows the divineness that God created within us. And then we have the idea of moral judgments. And so we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's just take it one step further. So how many of you all have been to Mount Rushmore? Okay, beautiful thing, right? So that's it up there. And uh, if you went to Mount Rushmore for the first time, never been there before, you drove up and you saw these faces on the mountainside, what reasonable options are there to explain how they came about? Well, one would be, I don't know, just by chance, they just happened to look like the presidents through, you know, years of sandstorm and years of water and, you know, so I don't know how it happened, but somehow, some way, they just look like famous people, right? So that's one option, probably not a great option. Or you look at that and you go, man, whoever designed that was really smart. There was a designer in mind. That's the other. It's either chance or design. Which do you choose? I choose design. So how do, I, how do I see design? I think these things basically represent three things, forethought, planning, and intention. There's forethought, planning, and intention that went into this, and voila, we can go and we can look at it in an amazing way. Ronald Reagan said this, when I'm faced with an atheist, I am tempted to invite him to the great gourmet dinner, a great, the greatest gourmet dinner that one could ever serve, and when we have finished eating that magnificent dinner, to ask him if he believes that there is a cook. <laughs> because a lavish meal 
requires a cook. Somebody had to design, plan, and execute this lavish dinner. That's how it is with the Creator. God has designed and planned you out with intention, thought about you from before the foundation of the world, created you with exactly the right personality, created you with just the right amount of humor, all the things that you have in your life to make you distinctly you. See, I'm the, I'm the grandfather of twins. They're identical. And uh, here's what's fascinating. Nobody can hardly tell them apart. They were, they were at camp last week. They're running around here, and people all the time walked up to me and said, how do you tell them apart? And I said, I just look at them. I know. I, they're my grandkids. I know, I know who they are. I, I can tell them apart. And, but nobody else hardly can tell them apart. And so I gave them a few clues of how to do that. And here's the thing. Even though they're identical, there are things that make them distinctly them. Distinctly them. They have a different, they, when you look closely, they, they have a different face to them. They, you know, they look identical, but when you look close, they're, they're, they're individual. They are, God has created them not just to be twins, He's created them to be individuals. That is so amazing. And creation is just this amazing thing. And yet, it is one of the most attacked things in, in all of Christianity is, oh, you, you're one of those that believe in creation. So there are two scientists and after discovering how to clone humans, these scientists challenged God, saying, we don't think we need you anymore, and we can make life by ourselves now. And so God said, okay, uh, let's have a man-making contest. And they said, all right. Scientists said, all right, we'll do it just like you did it in the beginning. They reached down to grab a handful of dirt and began uh, to, you know, to form a man, and then they heard a voice from heaven, God's voice from heaven, saying, hold it, get your own dirt. So there's this creation that you are a part of. It is amazing. And God has created you for two purposes. Number one, he's created you to glorify him. What does that mean, to glorify him? That's really interesting. First of all, let me show you two verses of Scripture. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. I, it is I who created them. Psalm 86, 12 says, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. So what does it mean? What does it mean to glorify God? That's a, that's a Christian ease term that we throw around. Oh, I'm just glorifying God. What does that mean that you're glorifying God? You, I've ever, anybody ever used that word? I'm glorifying God? And I'm asking a question here now. You can raise your hand if you've used that. Anybody at all? Hello, hello, hello. Okay, we've got a few hands out there. So yeah, so what does it mean that you glorify God? Well, the word itself means to bring light to. But I'm going to give it to you in a different way. I believe that when we glorify God, we represent. You've heard that term. It's a good, popular, young person's term. I'm just representing. That's what it means to glorify God. I represent His character, His works, and His reputation in all that I do and all that I think. That's what it means to represent. We glorify God in particular by appreciating Him, by adoring Him, by having affection for Him. Those are all attributes that He does for us. And then we glorify God by submitting to Him because why wouldn't we? That would be the last, that would be the, the last thing in the world that I'd want to do is reject the Creator, right? That would be an amen. 
you're leaving me all by myself up here today. I'm lonely. So come, come with me. Come on the journey. So I'm created. I'm created to glorify his name. I'm created to glorify his name. But here is another reason that I am created by God. Uh, I'm created to enjoy God. I'm in create, God wants me to enjoy his presence. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. You know what's going to be the best thing about heaven? Besides the fact that you're going to be there. The best thing about heaven is God's presence because in his presence is the fullness of joy. That is just so amazing. That's so good. And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God has created me to enjoy him. Would you, would you, describe, would you describe your relationship with God in that, those terms? I just enjoy him. I pray not because I want stuff. I pray because I enjoy God. I just want to spend time with him. I just like talking to him. I like having him talk. I, I read the Bible because it's not that I, I, I learn stuff, but you know what? I just enjoy God talking to me. That's mature Christianity. That's what mature Christianity looks like. And we get that by 2 Corinthians 5.15. And this is so marvelous because the God who created us died for us. And the cross that he was crucified on was made and created by himself. Have you ever thought about that? The tree that was used to crucify Jesus was the tree that he, the tree that he created. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and raised up for them. Powerful thing. And I want to end my time together with you. I, I, I could do a 12-week series on creation. Easily fill it up. I'm doing 30 minutes. So I want to end our time with this thought. I want to end our time with this idea. Lecrae is an American Christian rapper, songwriter, record producer, and actor. And you know when someone makes it big because you know that they, they only you call them by one name, right? Lecrae. So watch this video, and then I want to talk about it. So I'm in Beverly Hills, and, uh, and I go to this department store because I need a T-shirt, just a regular T-shirt, plain T-shirt, Hanes BPT, some, nothing serious. But I go to this Beverly Hills department store. I'm going through the rack. I find a T-shirt, just a regular T-shirt like many of you are wearing right now. I pick up the T-shirt. I look at the price tag. And I say, oh, they must have messed up. Somebody put the wrong price tag on the shirt. So let me grab another shirt. And I grab a, another shirt. And it's the same price as the last one. $640. No, I'm not joking. A $640 t-shirt. I'm thinking to myself, what kind of gold fabric is woven into this Hanes beefy tea? So I'm like, maybe I'm tripping, maybe something's different. Let me go to a different rack. I start looking and I come to find out those t-shirts were on a sale rack. So I put my pride aside. I went and I went to go holler at the, 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 the guy at the register. I said, my dog, you gotta help me out. You got to explain to me why this shirt costs $640. I need to know if I wear this shirt, is some kind of healing gonna take place in my body? 
Am I going to become a mutant? What's going to happen if I wear this $640 shirt? I said, what is it, man? Something in it? Like the, the material? He was like, no, it's just it's cotton, dash of polyesters. So I'm like, well, explain, help me understand then. Why is this shirt $640? He says, well, it's the designer, man. The designer's name on it adds value to it. It's valuable because of who designed it. That is so good. Here's, do you get that? Do you get the connection? Here's some abstract thinking. You bring no value except for God to the table. Your value is established by the fact that his name is stamped on you. Stamped on you in two ways. Stamped on you in creation, stamped on you in redemption. That's the value that I have. I have, you know, it, I, I can do anything in the world. I can have all the performance in the world. I'm not going to add to that value that God has put on my life all the, right now. That's why whatever suffering I go through, I can face with joy. Because it's not diminishing my value. It means that I can, I mean, this is a game changer when I think about depression. Because my value isn't based on anything that I'm currently going through. My value is based upon the fact that a million years ago, God designed me in my mother's womb, created the plan. The plan for my birth, the plan for my redemption, the plan for my death, and he's taken care of everything in between, and all I've got to do is put my seatbelt on and go for the ride. Your value is established by God, and it can't be diminished by your sin if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God who believes in the redemption, because the blood of Christ paid for that. And it is for when you begin to think about how I see myself and how I view myself, it is a game changer. I often do this. I often look at myself in the mirror and I say these words out loud and I mean them. They're true. They're true words. I am worth God's son to God. It's true. I'm worth that because of his creation of me and I'm worth that because of his redemption of me at the cross. And there, I hope that inspires you when you walk out of here. The next time you go through a, a depression or anger or resentment or whatever you're doing, whatever you're facing in life, if you were faced that with the idea that God has stamped his name on me, I have value because of that. Immense value. And my failures do not define me. They just don't. That's called shame. What defines me is that name stamped on my life that God sees. God brags about me to the angels. Not because I'm doing good, because of what he's done in my life. He's my creator. Do you see why creation is such an important thing? You take creation out of the mix and you have a, a, a culture that has just chaos in it going nowhere, frustrated and angry. You put creation in the mix and you know there is a beginning and an end and God is going to take this chaos and he's going to turn it just like he did in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. He's going to take the chaos of verse 2 and create order. 
That's my God. I hope it's your God too. And I hope you see that creation is a big deal to God. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this great truth. May you, Lord, cement it in our hearts in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen.